0: So I've been a priest for uh, 30 years. And uh, my first five years, I spent in a parish, West Hempstead, St. Thomas. And then, uh, well, the last 11 or so, I've been down here, Long Beach and Point Lookout. Uh, The middle 15 or so years, uh, I had different assignments that were, uh, they were different, they weren't uh, parish assignments. I was a high school chaplain, I was a college chaplain, and then I was the vocation director for the diocese. And, uh, I, you know, I love them all. Um, but they weren't parish jobs, um, so they were different. Uh, but They all had this kind of thing in common. Number one, I, I was, they really had me working with young people almost exclusively. High school, college, even in vocations, uh, you know, most of the guys who were thinking about priesthood that I would talk to were you know, usually in their 20s or maybe 30s. So that was one thing, just uh, a lot of time with young people. But there was another kind of common denominator, and I didn't even realize it, I don't think, until maybe after the fact. Um, whether you were a high school or a college kid, or some guy thinking about priesthood. uh, All of them, all of those people and those groups of people that I ministered to, seemed like I was always having conversations with them about the fact that they were different. They saw themselves as different. Feeling different, being seen by others as different from most people around them. You know, the 16-year-old the whose friends are changing in all the wrong ways. And this kid is unwilling to go along. And he feels different. And they see him as different. You know, the college sophomore who won't cheat Everybody else seems to be cheating, and he won't. And they see it, and they're just sort of puzzled by his set of rules, and it makes him feel different. Or well, maybe the way he looks at and treats members of the opposite sex with respect and with dignity. He tries to, when pretty much everybody around them doesn't. And they're kind of puzzled. By that. And then get the guy who was thinking about being a priest. Well, that was even crazier because people would thought that guy was like from another planet. Um, how could you possibly be thinking about becoming a, a priest? All these people, individuals, groups, they felt different because they were different. And that was always something that I really affirmed and really encouraged the difference, the fact that they were unlike the people around them. Because they were different in really the right ways. Remember when I was working at Hofstra, um, uh, I was there when Hurricane Katrina happened in New Orleans. And I remember, uh, and probably you do too if you're old enough like there were just so many images during those days of uh, people being rescued. People standing on the roof of their house with their, their kids and their dog and you know a helicopter hovering over, coming down to rescue these people. The flood waters kind of getting higher and higher, they had no place left to go, literally standing on the roof people trapped like on the side of the banks of a river and the river's out of control because of the flood, hanging on to branches, rescuers climbing in, throwing them life life preservers and ropes. All these like these stories of, of rescue. Uh, I remember I was talking to my staff at the time. I had these campus ministers. They were all young, they were all maybe right out of college a year out of college themselves and they wanted to do church work they wanted to do college campus ministry and i remember meeting with them at one point maybe it was the beginning of the year i don't even remember but i talked about those images those images of uh rescue you know and i just said to these to these campus ministers like we've got to be that to these kids on this campus because they're living in, a, in an environment that's out of control and lawless and dangerous and selfish in so many ways. And they're just about hanging on. And the floodwaters are getting higher, like the levees have broken. And they're looking for somebody to hang on to and pull them to safety. And my point to my campus ministers was, we've gotta be those rescuers in a sense. And I know it's a little dramatic. We weren't in helicopters. There weren't literally floodwaters. But I'm telling you, these kids in a lot of ways were kinda drowning. Maybe worse than the waters of a flood. And our job is to go get them. You know, I think in a way, like, that whole image, rescue, it's kind of what this whole Noah and the ark story is about. And to be honest with you, I was thinking about this a day or two ago when I was looking at the reading and I was like, you know what? I never really think about the, the story of Noah and the ark. I mean, you get it every couple of years in the reading, so I'm, I, I guess over the years, I've, I guess I've preached about it, but I know I haven't talked about it a lot. Because I've never been a big fan of this story. I think that's why I've avoided it. Because I find it to be a little crazy, if you take it literally. I don't think we should, but a lot of people do. Every couple of years, you hear a story in the news about somebody who thinks they've discovered the Ark, like the actual Ark. And I'm like thinking, come on, there's there's no way... They discovered the Ark. To be honest with you, this is why I got have struggled with it. I don't think there really was an Ark. I don't really think there was an historical Ark. Because I don't think this story is historically true. Doesn't mean it's false. Doesn't mean it's a waste. I just think we can get hung up and tripped up if we take it literally. I think that's what happened to me. And because of that, I never really took it seriously. It was a cute story for kids, cartoon books, little toys. You got the uh, elephants and lions and, uh, you know, you got the, the, the boat and, you know, something you'd play with in a kindergarten class, maybe. But the story itself, oh, my God, I don't know. Hey, you know what? I still don't, I still don't think it's literally true. I don't think God would have created everything and then killed practically everything. He says to to Noah and uh, Mrs. Noah, you know, and, and a few other people and a bunch of animals, you guys are safe, but everyone else, everything else that I have created, I am going to kill with this flood. I just don't think that's the way God would operate. And I think I, I feel confident in saying that because I look to the, to the expert, the Son, and I think about the way Jesus spoke of the Father. And it was never like that. It was never, you know, God doesn't send murderous floods. And I think when we think that, that makes for kind of a, a bad understanding of God, a kind of a messed up, you know, sort of theology. But I am, I have rethought this story. I think I was wrong for blowing it off, which effectively is what I've done. Because there is truth to it, not, I think, historical truth, but it is filled with truths. Those who who forget about God struggle. It's that simple. Those who blow off God's truth, they die. They spiritually, emotionally, morally die and the virtuous ones, the ones who try to do it right, like those kids I told you about in college and high school and men who were considering priesthood, the ones who held on to what was true even though even though everybody around them thought they was crazy, they win, not just in the next life, but in this one. God says to Noah, Go build this ark, build an ark in the desert. That makes a lot of sense, an ark in a desert. It wouldn't make sense to build a rowboat in a desert, let alone an ark. What do you need a big giant boat for in a desert? Well, Noah did it. I wonder what people thought of him when he was building the boat in the desert. Building an ark in the desert is ridiculous. And when we are faithful to God, people look at us as ridiculous, most of the time. That's why those kids, when I was in high school and in college, they were looking for other people who thought the way they did. And our job was to try to bring them together because they knew people thought they were ridiculous for continuing to hold on to things that everybody else had ditched. When we are faithful to God the way Noah was, we're gonna look ridiculous in the eyes of the world. So when you get that look or the awkward silence or maybe even the comment from others, how ridiculous you seem, man, see it as a badge of honor. You're doing something right. You know, over at Kellenberg High School, they built, I don't know, maybe 30 years ago this was, 25 years ago, they built this really interesting couple of offices within the school. They cut like uh, a hole through the, I guess it would be the third floor, So you, and they put this like spiral staircase from the third floor into the second. And they created this series of uh, meeting rooms and offices, and it became the uh, campus ministry office for the school, where all the faith stuff comes out of. It's pretty cool. They named it The Ark. I suspect they named it The Ark because they wanted kids to know that this is where it's safe. This is the place to be. Go to the ark and you will be okay. Because outside of the ark, it's scary and dangerous and compromised. And the people who lived outside of the ark, well, it didn't end well for them. That's where the story is true. Again, did they all drown to death? Did little puppies and kittens and, and everything that God made die? Like No. But when we choose to live outside of the ark, outside of where God and his people are, we kind of do die in a whole variety of ways. So it is a true story. You know, I was uh, last Sunday. I had uh, Sunday morning, I had a couple of masses and then I had to go go over to the hospital, South Nassau to anoint somebody. And I was coming back and it was a busy morning. I was kind of tired. Got back to the rectory, got something to eat. And I had this mass, I had the five o'clock mass a couple of hours later. So I was just gonna hang out, relax a bit. Went up to my room and I had nothing else to do until mass put on a TV, and uh, I remember the movie, if you're old enough, remember the, remember the Poseidon Adventure? That was on. Uh, if you don't remember it or know about it, it was a very, very popular movie, the early 70s. It was a disaster movie. It was about this cruise ship that gets capsized by a uh, tidal wave from a tsunami. So it's a survival story. These people just Desperately trying to make their way to freedom. It's not even a great movie. Um, I'm not gonna lie though. I watched it. I was kind of, I was really, I was loving it. I'd seen it a bunch of times, and it was kind of a fun movie to kind of just escape to and with. And the characters, it's you know, it's like these movie, movies always had kind of like an all-star cast. They got all these actors and they're climbing and crawling and swimming through all these parts of this upside-down cruise ship. And because it's upside down, it was like kinda weird. You'd be, they were walking through these places and like the lights, which should have been hanging from above, were now on the ground. And furniture that was sort of attached to the floor, a lot of was like stuck up on the, on the ceiling. And what these people are doing, Gene Hackman is the the star and he's the the leader of this group, this group of about 10 or 12 people. Gene Hackman says, if we stay down below, we're going to die because down below is under the water. But if we make our way to the top, we're going to get to the surface. And if we're going to get rescued, that's where rescue is to be found. And people, the people on 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 the cruise are staying put They're not going to move. They think they're going to be rescued. He's like, you're not going to get rescued. Nobody's coming down this far. If we make it, we're going to make it going this way. But throughout, so anyway, this group of people, it's just these series of adventures. But everywhere you go, you realize it's like everything's upside down. You ever feel like that? (laughs) Sort of? Like you look around... You look at the news, you observe people sometimes, and you're like, this is crazy, everything seems like upside down. You can't go on a New York City subway without fearing being thrown onto the tracks. You hear daily stories of people mugging, beating, Terrorizing people, they get arrested. Twenty-four hours later, they're released, and forty-eight hours after that, they've beaten somebody else up, like upside down. Like, what's going on? I was watching this interview with um, a couple of college volleyball athletes, women volleyball players, and they were really good. They had scholarships to play in the school where they went. But they're no longer playing, they're no longer starting. Because two men, who decided that they were women, are now on the team. They're guys, they're bigger, they're stronger, they're faster. I don't know if they're faster, but they're bigger and stronger. And they've taken the place. And everybody on the team knows it's upside down, but everybody's afraid to say, this is upside down. And it was so sad, I was listening in this interview, they are like, Carol, since we were little girls, this has been our life. High school, college, we have been, we have been most committed to this. And now it's been stolen away from us our junior and senior year of college because the world has gone upside down. You know, go to a a basketball. Go to a a junior high basketball game. Sit in the bleachers. Be a fly on the wall on the bleachers. And listen. Listen Listen to the people. Listen to the parents. Listen to the language that some of the parents use. Listen to the way they they scream at refs and umpires at games. Look at the the intensity, the passion that they have for their 11-year-old's basketball game. Like, are you kidding? Would you just shut up for a bit? Would you come up for air? He's 11. It's not that important. Why is this screaming? Not to mention the pressure you're putting on your 11-year-old, because he's not blind or deaf. He can see and hear how important this is to you. So this kid is feeling crazy pressure to perform at 11 years old. You think that's good? You think that's healthy, Dad? Upside down. You know, I used to think those jobs I had, high school work, college work, that was where you had to deal with people who felt like they were different. But like, you know, once you're an adult, you're strong enough, you're kind of on your own. The peer pressure stuff happens way more then than it does when you're an adult. I don't even know if that's so true anymore. I thought that issue was exclusive to teenagers and 22-year-olds. But you know what? I'm still, like, talking about it. I find myself preaching about it maybe more now than I did even then. Because it's not a kid thing. It's a culture thing. It's a societal problem. So much has gone upside down. And people who get it know it, they're like, I'm 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 trying to get out of this upside down cruise ship, and it's tough, and people think I'm crazy because I'm holding on to what is true. This is the ark. The church is the ark. What God asked Noah to do was to build this. That ark was a church where people of common value and common belief come together, and we remind each other that this is right and this is true, no matter what an upside-down culture tells us. So protect the ark, support it, defend the boat, and stay in it.